Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and today I'm here with my co-host. What's your name? Jordan. Jordan. Jordan is my daughter. How old are you? I'm four. Four? Are you sure you're four? Yes. Yes. What day is today? Christmas Eve. That's right. We are recording this on Christmas Eve, because why not? We're recording some intros today, me and Jordan. And uh, she wanted to join me on the podcast for a couple of introductions to talk to all of our podcast friends, right? book for you. This is a book? This is beautiful. This is beautiful. I like this. Now you can read it. I can read it? Yeah. It says, what's it say? Merry Christmas, Daddy. Merry Christmas. You are the best. You are the best. My daughter is amazing. Where would you go yesterday? What happened yesterday? I go to the doctor. The doctor. What did they do at the doctor? They, uh, they... Took some of my blood. They took some of your blood, but what what did they give you when you were all done? Uh, well, they they gave me a band aid. Yeah, and what else? A baby. A baby. She got to pick a prize. People, they had like a whole bin of toys that she could choose from because she was getting labs done. So they said you can pick whatever prize you want. She got a baby with like a bottle. It came with a stroller, a diaper bag. Like when I was a kid, I, I was lucky to get a sticker, maybe. But she got stickers and she got this baby. Wild stuff, right? Yeah, and I I steal it. You stole it? What? I they, steal it. They gave it to you, silly. Silly goose. Hey, this is episode number 185 of the podcast. It's part number 19 of our series, Instant Replay, where we're looking back on some of our favorite episodes of the last three years. And today... We're looking back on an episode with my friend Bo Sanders. Uh, Bo is a professor of mine at Alliance Theological Seminary, uh, someone who's been very supportive of me and my work. And I wanted to bring him on the show today because he's really a mentor of mine. Um, or I should say I wanted to bring him on the show back in, I think it was like a year, a year ago? I don't remember when we talked, but it was, it was a while ago. What are you doing? Papa. Oh, you're sitting on my lap. Uh, it was like, I think it was like a year ago. Something like that. But anyway, I want to bring him on the show because this podcast actually was kind of originated in his class. Uh, the The class was about like communication and how to present the gospel. Like, what is the gospel and how to present the gospel in there you go. a modern day? Oh, thank you so much. This modern age. And so we had to have a we had to write a paper where we kind of reflected on everything that we learned, and then we had to talk about what we were going to do to bring it into I our life. I want a Barbie dream house. You want a Barbie? We're hoping, people, we're hoping that tomorrow's Christmas, because we're recording this early, we're hoping that Santa brings a Barbie dream house. Do you think it's going to happen? Yeah. I know, it's a pretty tall order. We'll have to see. I hope there's an elf, though, that will put it together. Do you think so? Uh, I think you have to build it. Oh, man. You think so? Oh, me. That's going to take a long time, I think. It's a pretty big dream house. Hey, um, I think I can help you. Okay, we'll do it together. But uh, anyway, so the podcast originated in his class, uh, in this paper. It was all just an idea. He read the paper. He said, this is amazing. You need to go and do it. Uh, and he really gave me permission to start this podcast and be myself. And so shout out to Bo Sanders. I love you. Uh, you're a good friend. And uh, this, this, this thing, we're 185 episodes in, largely because you gave me the permission uh, to go forth and to to do it. Uh, in the show notes today, we got Patreon, Buy Me a Coffee, two places to go to support the show financially. 
So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, which are two places to go to support it, uh, all the money goes to pay the bills, uh, to put the food on the table, to keep the lights shining, the gas uh, going, the heat on, all the different things. Uh, so we, we, we are super grateful for our 42 patrons, uh, people who, who believe in what we're doing and uh, give some of their money every single month. I know that's a hard thing to do. Times are tight. Money's tight. Uh, but we are extremely grateful, right? Say thank you so much, patrons. Thank you so much, patrons. Yes, thank you so much for believing in us and what we're doing here on the podcast. Special music today is from my friend Young Citizen, Y-U-N-G Citizen. He's on Apple Music. He's on Spotify. He's all over the place. Uh, go download his music, share it, pass it around. And a lot to say. Again, this is episode number 185 with my friend Bo Sanders. Say, roll the tape. Roll the tape. Peace. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed in something fancy. Uh, wish I on a pot on some gold with the rainbow. By the time Clancy. Uh, wishing I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go and hit a run, I'ma check. Wish I had no other sand, most beating on my chest. Wishing for my people. Uh, wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own beach and we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much for high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we go in here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got a hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion, go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG, train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Hey, friends, uh, you have picked a good day to drop by. Uh, first of all, it's the two year anniversary of the podcast. So, two years ago to the very day, uh, we released episode one, and we have both made some waves and some uh, new friends along the way. But today, I want to introduce you to my friend, uh, a mentor in my life, the one who helped me get the courage to get this thing off the ground. Bo Sanders, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It is good to be here. And congratulations. That is no small anniversary. Thank you. Confetti shoots out of people's phones all over the world yes. at this moment. <laughs> if only we could do that. Maybe someday. It's a labor of love, podcasting. It is. It is. Uh, I thought it was going to be easier than it is, but I'm finding that it's actually a lot of work. But it's like I said, it's work that I enjoy doing. It's yeah. labor of love. This is, yeah, this is my 12th year of podcasting. And um, it, it's just, it is an endeavor. You, you really have to believe in the conversation that you're hosting or facilitating mm -hmm. or trying to initiate because it, it costs you. Yes. It costs you a lot of things, time, energy, some relationships, depending on what you're talking about. So you and I uh, met in a class and you have to excuse my daughter in the background. It's quarantine days, as we say. So oh. she might scream. We have two new dogs as well. They might bark. Whoa. Um, yes, Busy we, have a, house. we have a lot of things going on in the secret house and we have a cat that's very upset with the dog. So who knows what's going to wow. happen. But uh, you and I, we met in a class uh, that you were co-teaching with your dad back at Alliance right. Theological Seminary yeah. during my yeah. last class that I had to take uh, to complete the coursework for the, the doctoral program. And I've told the story on the podcast before, but now that you're like actually here with me, I need to tell it with you here so I can hear your thoughts uh, to follow. Yeah. So it was a week long intensive class, as you know. And uh, I remember the first day of class, I sat all the way in the back row, as far away from you as I could be. Uh, and admittingly, I wasn't really paying all that much attention. Like, I don't know if senioritis is a thing for doctoral yeah. students, but it, if it is, I totally had it. 
Uh, I just wanted the class to be over. I was quietly deconstructing a lot of things in my heart, my mind. I didn't feel, to be honest, very safe in that part of my journey, in mm. that place. So I was kind of hoping to skate through the class kind of unnoticed, if that makes any sense. So, yeah. But then you got up to talk and uh, you were quoting from uh, what I was told were forbidden books by forbidden people. You weren't always mentioning their names, but I was probably the only one in the room, for instance, who picked up on the trampoline illustration, having roots in like Rob Bell's book, Velvet Elvis, because I had read that many times. And I remember going back to my hotel that night, and I was avoiding some of the invites to go out to dinner, and I just wanted to be alone. I remember laying on my bed thinking to myself, like, I don't know who this guy is or how they let him teach in this seminary, but <laughs> this feels like a divine moment. And like, I need more of both standards in my life because you were you were talking with confidence and courage about things that uh, were somewhat forbidden in that world. You were pushing us as a class to ask big questions about faith and God and the gospels and the Bible and all the things and, like I was hooked. So for the rest of the class, if you remember, I sat in the front of the room, uh, finally got the courage to talk to you on the side. You encouraged me to go to Wild Goose. You encouraged me to keep digging. We did a directed study together. Uh, in that last paper I wrote about uh, the idea for this podcast, you said, go for it. And so three years later, uh, here we are. So I just wanted to kind of kick it off and say, thank you, uh, because I would not be doing what I'm doing today if it were not for you and your voice in my life. So thank you. Wow. That is, I have goosebumps. That is <laughs> amazing to hear. Thank you for honoring me uh, in that story. And, and I just want to acknowledge that I'm so glad you seized the opportunity like you did and took off running because it turns out you can really run. Mm. <laughs> you're, you're built for this and you Thank love you. it and you're doing good in the world. And I'm just so happy to have played any part of that at all. But yeah, let's talk about that class. So here's, here's some funny background. <laughs> yes, give it to me. So uh, my father is the head of the, the doctor of ministry program at the seminary that you went to mm -hmm. at NIAC and uh, Alliance Theological Seminary. And they used to have two preaching courses as part of the doctor of ministry program. But they figured out that a, a majority of those in the doctoral program were not primarily preachers. Yeah. That that's not, so they, they took that second preaching class and they wanted to make it a contemporary communication class. Hmm. And so uh, I wrote up a proposal and I submitted it and it got accepted. Uh, and so I got to be the professor in that class, but uh, I got to co-teach it with my father, which is an amazing opportunity. Hmm. I, I don't know many people who get to do that. Hmm. Um, you know, to just not only follow your dad, into his profession, but then to partner with him yeah. is a yeah. big, it was a big cool thing that I got to do. Sure. But there, that was the upside, sort of the constructive, it was a wonderful atmosphere in the class. But the, the tricky part of that class is that communication in the 21st century is inherently complicated. Yeah. <laughs> and so the content of the class was risky. Yeah. Yep. There was no way around because we live in a world. And if you think about Glenn, what's happened since that class, mm. 
think about the last four years and just how the intensification and the amplification of whether it's the news, social media, mm. the unrest in the streets, right? The, the climate that we live, it's anytime you're going to try and talk about communication mm. and specifically for us as um, religious types and uh, theologically oriented people, I mean, this is a treacherous time to try and communicate. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. whether you are the one broadcasting or you're the one interpreting on either end of that wavelength, there is a lot going on. And so to try and address the multiple things going on, you know, I like to use the so a song analogy because you always have the words and for most people, the words get the lion's share of the attention. The lyrics of the song, that's what they think the song is about. Mm. But I always have to try and convince people, if you didn't have the words to this song, you still have a song. Yeah. So what I like to do is play songs, like whether that's it's Muzak or a jazz version or some cover that doesn't have words. And it's amazing that in that room, people who know the song are familiar with the song, their brain supplies the words. Yeah. But for people who don't know, have never heard that song before, they have an entirely different experience of that song. Yeah. And so like my favorite one is a pops version of uh, Hope It Gives You Hell. Mm. And if people don't know that song, they think, hey, that was a nice, that was a nice light song. People who are familiar with the song, right. <laughs> yeah. how, why did you just play that during the offertory? Right. And, um, All American and so, rejects, right? <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> and so uh, this, this is why the opening day of class, my yeah. main topic is the experience of absence and the absence of experience. Mm. So two people can be sitting in the same place doing the same thing at the same time. Let's say that, let's call it a church service and a song comes on. You've never heard the song before. So you are having an absence of experience. You think, oh, I sort of liked that song. That was the song they played at my mom's funeral. So I am experiencing her absence. Mm -hmm. You and I are sitting in the same place, doing the same thing at the same time, having two entirely different experiences. And for every person in that room, that's going to be true. So if you have 50 people in a room, you're going to have at least 50 different experiences so how do you communicate in that sort of a world? Hmm. Well, you have to keep track of the registers. Hmm. You have to say, here's the bass and here's the treble. Here's the pace. Here's the rhythm. Here's right the melody. Here's the harmony. You have to, as a communicator, be tracking the different registers because there is more going on at all times than you can possibly control. So this is just being an attentive person yeah and saying what are the registers and then attending to them hmm. and that's all i mean that was all the more true in that particular class i can imagine for you as a professor like you're standing up there talking about um all of these these concepts that to a lot of people really push up against some boundaries but you have people from all different all different things going on in their world i mean you have people from different parts of the world you have people from different 
different age groups. You have people doing different things in the church. Some people not in the church, you know, you have so many different things. So so many different people receiving what you're saying in different ways. Well, this is why I love uh, Paul Ricoeur. One of his concepts is called the surplus of meaning. Yeah. And I wanted to touch on that. Yeah. Oh yeah. So in any symbol, any symbol at all, but specifically ones that are rich. So Mm. let's say G O D just those three letters Mm. in that, in that order, in that sequence, in any symbol like G O D you have more going on than you could possibly explain or Mm. contain. Yeah. Right. And there is, and that's on purpose and that's a good thing. Mm. So at the communion table, you know, I know six different versions, interpretations of what's happening at the communion table. Mm. So you can have eight, people taking communion together and they're having at least six different experiences right yeah theologically spiritually so but that's a good thing that symbols are so full and rich in their meanings yeah that there's a multiplicity of possibilities and just an array of implications and applications there is a surplus of meaning Mm. And, and so when you embrace that, any Bible verse, you know, there are at least four different things going on in any Bible verse that you read. Mm. And so to celebrate that, so instead of trying to, to reduce everything down to one thing, what's, what's, this, what's the one meaning of this verse, yep. right? Yep. It's original interpretation or it's application, right? What, instead of doing that, you, you bless it by breathing life into it like a balloon and expanding it and seeing what's all this can mean Mm. or putting a candle inside of a vase and letting right the light shine through i mean there's a there's a beauty about recognizing that communication and symbols whether that's visual or digital or verbal or embodied that there's so much richness and goodness in meaning that you embrace that and say there's actually a surplus of meaning. There's more going on than I can understand, explain, or contain. I think that for me was like one of the huge parts of the class that unlocked a lot for me because again, like, you know, I had experience, I had spent so much time at that in those, in those walls that we were in. I mean, I, I did my master's degree there. Um, I was there for a little bit, like in, even in college days, like I was there doing a couple of things and then in doctoral studies and like in those walls, like I can't tell how many times like in systematic theology classes and, um, you know, different Bible classes that like we were told, like, you know, like you said, you got to get to the one, what is the one meaning of this passage? And so like internally I'm fighting thinking there's, there's gotta be more to it than this and then when you mm-hmm. talked about this idea of surplus of meaning i was like that's it like i'm not crazy like there are other people who literally think this kind of stuff and i remember we went out to lunch one day i think it was maybe after we talked about that and i was sitting at a lunch table with like three or four other guys who were talking about this idea and everybody at the table is wrestling with it and so i remember one guy was like i can't i can't wrap my mind around this because like how can we say that there's you know there's multiple meanings to these like what does that mean for our faith and i was like well it means that it's beautiful right because it means that like you and i come from completely different places in the world 
in terms of our experiences, but we can both look at this story of scripture and it can speak to us in different ways. I said, like, if everybody here at this table puts together a sermon about a specific passage, we're all going to come away with different things. Doesn't mean that any one of us is wrong or any one of us is right. It just means we have different experiences. Like, doesn't that make sense? Like, but people are like having such a hard time wrapping their mind around it, but I found it so, so freeing. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, um, there's lots of sayings like, you know, Jesus said, if you have ears to hear or eyes to see, right. I, I like to use the, the phrase uh, the same sun that hardens the clay softens the butter. Mm. <laughs> there are certain things and I don't even know what this category is called, mm. but there are certain things to which people naturally fall to one side or the other. They're like yeah. watershed, right. Yeah. Or thresholds. Mm. And it just, it's one of those things that you sometimes people can roll over and they're inside the house or they're outside the house and, yeah. or they're, they're on the West side of the Hill or they're on the East side of the, I mean, there's just certain things that seem to uh, push people in one way or another. Yeah. And this, this surplus of meaning, the multiplicity, the plurality, there is just something. And I don't know if it's personality. I don't know if it's ideology I don't know if it's a timing thing where people are in their journey, but it definitely um, tends to be one of those things. Yeah. You know, there's people, there's people with certain personalities that you either love them or you hate them, right? Yep. I, and, and it's just, <laughs> this is one of those ideas, surplus of meaning, that you can either, it opens up horizons to yeah. you, yeah. or it threatens Mm. your very identity. And, um, it's a, it's an amazing, it's an amazingly powerful thing. And so, yeah, it's not surprising, but what I have come to learn, you know, I got to teach that class five years, five Mm. out of six years. (laughs) I was the last time, right? Or was it maybe the time before the last uh, one other one? Yeah. Second to last. Yep. So one of the things I have learned through that class and then it's been reinforced a hundred times since then is that in my music analogy Mm. the baseline to almost anything the baseline is control yeah you can call that power you can call that authority but often it is control and so one of the things that we really need to be careful of in our moment that we live in is that this reductive idea of reducing everything down to either its lowest common denominator or its simplest explanation or its essence, right? Or there's many ways to, that people address it, but this reductive move from the last 500 years that we have inherited in Western thought in the enlightenment, this reductive move, whether it's theological or scientific or whatever it is, uh, even psychological, um, we get so used to our one interpretation. So yeah. specifically, let's do theological or biblical here. Hmm. We get so used to it. It must be our way, this one way of understanding it. And then anything that threatens that feels out of control. Yeah. yeah. And so control is the baseline hmm. that is sort of governing how our song sounds. Hmm. And 
anything that is counter to that is really, it, it makes us uneasy. It makes us uncomfortable. Mm. It, is a, it feels like a challenge to our control or authority or power that it could be read or understood a different way. And so while we may want to focus on the content, we also have to acknowledge that any theological debate or any spiritual conflict or religious, whatever you know it is, that there's at least two things going on at the same time. One is the content and the other is a power or a control issue. Mm. So yeah. whether that whether that's same-sex marriage in denominations, whether that's the ordination of women, whether that's um, inspiration of scripture, like it doesn't really matter what the controversial issue is. You have the content, but you also have an underlying wrestling for control. Mm. There's always like a thing beneath the thing. It's not just the content. There's always something more going on than that. Yep. And that's yeah. why on that first day of class, I, I always start with <laughs> you are always communicating at least two things. Yeah. One, that you mean to, and a second thing that you may not be aware of or in control of. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And I mean, so, that can be tone of voice. Yeah. That can be posture. That can right. Be sure. Yeah. I mean, it can be uh, trigger words. It can, there's so many, there's, so you can say what you mean to say, hmm. but there's always a secondary echo that you may not be aware of or in control of. And it's important to know that because sometimes people will come up to you afterwards and say, hey, I really didn't appreciate that. And you'll hmm. say, oh, oh, that's not what I meant. Hmm. Well, that's, that's how I, right? That's how I experienced that. And you're like, well, that wasn't my intention. Hmm. Well, tough. You're broadcasting on two signals all the time. At least two, right? Yeah. At least two. Yeah. I think in that class, you had us make like a list of all the different ways that we communicate other than voice. And I remember people, had, we had quite a list by the end of the time going around the room. You know, to your point, I think when, whether you're preaching and you're, you know, have, you're speaking in multiple ways with your voice and other ways that you communicate, whether you're in a conversation, it's just so important to to, to know part of the beauty of podcasting is that it is a reduced bandwidth in, in yeah. a sense yeah it there's only so much you can do with the medium mm-hmm. and so there's actually something beautiful that happens it's like learning to play an instrument right like a saxophone if that's your one instrument you mm-hmm. start becoming proficient and artistic in how you engage your instrument Mm. because it's both a limitation and an opportunity for artistry. Yeah. Sometimes with the, I, I, and when I emailed you beforehand, I said that we, uh, I only been doing audio uh, for the podcast because video slows down my, my Wi-Fi. but it's interesting. Um, you know, a lot of podcasts have video to go along with the audio and there's different yeah. things that you pick up, but I find it interesting when I just see audio, uh, like you said, yeah. it's a very limited, um, very limited bandwidth and it's just different things come across. So, so Bo, tell us about yourself. Um, obviously you, you uh, were a professor. Um, what else do you do? I've <laughs> talked about you a lot on the podcast. So now oh, that you're here, now people can, uh, now they can hear for themselves from, from, from the horse's mouth. <laughs> Who are you? What I do you do? <laughs> tuned in, I actually tuned into an episode about six months ago, just cause I 
you know, was interested in the topic or the, the guest. Right. And I heard you talk a little bit about me and I, oh, no. <laughs> it, was, it was really like, it was nice, but I was like, Oh wait, is he, does he every talk? episode is about Bo Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Right. Um, I have had a pretty fun journey, even though there have been some terrible twists and turns in it. But um, I am sort of finding myself not in a midlife crisis, <laughs> but in not in also not a second career crisis. I have come back around uh, to the place. It would look to somebody on the outside very much like I was doing the same thing um, that I was, was doing uh, 27 years ago when I got started. The only difference is that I walked so far away from it that I have come back very different. Hmm. So, when I was 18, I was, my father was a professor up at uh, Canadian Theological Seminary in Saskatchewan, Canada. And I graduated high school there. And then my family moved to Nyack. So I stayed behind in Saskatchewan to play, we call it junior football. It's more like minor league baseball hmm. uh, for a team there called the Rams. And, uh, I, you know, being a preacher's kid, I... Really, I don't know that I did that well with it. In hindsight, I was really conflicted. A lot of the expectations and, uh, you know, just evangelical subculture is interesting in, in and of itself. But also being a pastor's kid is sort of weird, too. <laughs> and you put those two things together and then you, you know, I'm the oldest son. So, you know, there's there's family things there. Uh, I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm, you know, as a football player um, and um, I'm yeah, Bo, Bo is somebody that you want on your side in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, um, and I'm always very aware of the, the physicality mm. of, um, especially now. So here's a weird thing. So I, I, you know, growing up evangelical, there were lots of jocks and former jocks and, you know, uh, in, in my circles that I ran in. Mm. And now I'm over, you know, I work in the main line with the United Methodist and they're more of, you know, if, to use the high school trope of uh, band geeks and uh, theater nerds. <laughs> so I'm always very aware of right. uh, the, the, the physicality <laughs> sure. uh, of just, uh, and, and so how I carry myself and just trying to be an approachable person and know that I take up a lot of space and that I have a big voice and, but I'm also really expressive. Mm. So, uh, like even listening, sometimes people will stop. I mean, they'll be talking, right. Giving an address and they'll stop and they'll say, what's wrong. Mm. I'm like, Oh, I just really liked that point. It, like, <laughs> just my resting listening is so animated sometimes, right, right. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> so all of that is to say, I did not do great as an evangelical teenager. It was, I had too much testosterone, too much energy. I was too curious about things. I, it just, you know, but I also wanted to be a good kid. So I was very conflicted is what mm. I'm trying to say. 
Yeah. I had a lot going on. I was of, I was of two minds. I was duplicitous. Right. Uh, the author of James would have not t- liked me very much. You were a walking uh, surplus of meaning. <laughs> oh goodness. I had, I was so, I had, <laughs> I had such a contradictory existence. But then when I was uh, 18, so I was out of high school, um, I got filled with the Holy Spirit and called to ministry during a, a church service one night. Mm. Uh, I had gone uh, on a date with a girl who I ended up marrying. So her and I have been married for 27 years. Mm, wow. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So when you are evangelical and you find the person that you love and want to spend the rest of your life with, uh, you get started early because <laughs> there are certain things you that are forbidden or at least frowned upon mm. until you're married. So we got yeah. married at 20. But it turned out pretty good. Hmm. We have gotten to travel the world. Um, we have been in ministry almost all of those years. Hmm. It's been a really, really interesting journey for us. Hmm. Um, and the big turn came in about 2007. I was a pastor in upstate New York, and I got slapped on the wrist by my denomination for reading uh, N.T. Wright, Len Sweet mm. and Brian McLaren. Oh, boy. And they said, it's a perfect storm right there. <laughs> here, they said, let this be the outer reach of your uh, academic, you know, exploration. Mm. And um, this far and no further. And this really got me thinking like, well, what are they afraid I'm going to find? And up to that point, I really had been a company man. I mean, I, I literally have the denominations logo tattooed on my arm literally mm. and uh so to, to get a reprimand like that yeah. i wasn't trying to be rebellious i just there was a part of me that noticed pastoring had changed yeah um people weren't asking the same kinds of questions anymore yeah. so i had been trained as an apologist i had the ravi zacharias josh mcdowell school of answers yeah. down it, it, you could ask me about anything and evidence i had that an demands a verdict right <laughs> evidence is demands a verdict yeah and then around 2005 i noticed no one was asking me the right questions anymore mm. they were asking different questions and i didn't have answers to those questions and as brian mclaren says i liked their questions more than i liked my answers so i went on a journey and I ended up uh, going to seminary out in Portland, Oregon at George Fox, because they were doing sort of a postmodern thing. And, and that sounded interesting at the time. <laughs> and then I got uh, involved in the emergent village conversation. Yeah. So I decided to go on. And I really liked theology. So I decided to do a PhD in practical theology hmm. uh, because of I have a pastoral heart and a real theological curiosity. So I ended up down in Los Angeles going to Claremont. Uh, I met my good friend at the time, Trip Fuller, and uh, we joined forces on homebrewed Christianity. Hmm. And uh, that got really big for a while. And we had so much fun doing that. Hmm. And then I got the opportunity, you know, I got to start a church down there called The Loft LA. And it was just a wonderful season of life. Mm. And then I got the opportunity to come back up to Portland and be a professor for a year. Mm. I was the visiting professor of theology at my seminary, George Mm. Fox. What an honor. Here's the problem. You can never go home again. Mm. 
So I came back to the place that had been so important to me, but two big things had changed in the eight years I was gone. It turns out I had changed a lot. <laughs> so even if I had returned to the same place and they were docked at, in the same bay, I would have been different. Yeah. The problem is I did not realize that evangelicalism had changed so much in eight years. So I came back and I really thought that I had done a great job at leaving enough rope in my theological backpack that I could still get out to the boat. I could bridge the gap between the dock and the boat. And I really thought I had left enough rope to do that. Hmm. But I didn't know that they had drifted right and I had drifted whatever direction you call this. And the gap was uh, pretty big. And so that was a wonderful year of being a professor. In what and, ways, uh, in what ways would you say, give me some specifics of what it looked like to drift? Like what was different? For evangelicalism or my drift? Um, like, like, why did you feel like, what did you feel was like, why did you feel that? Why did you feel that there was a shift on their end and a shift on your end and you didn't really meet in the middle anymore? Mm. I put some so skin on to, that for me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I try not to say years. I, I'm trying to get away from saying years. Sure. Uh, so like I've already said like 2007 and 2005, people started asking different questions. And yep. I, I don't like when I do that, but, but this one's important in that the year was 2016. It was an election year in the United States. Mm. Yep. And there was something going on in evangelicalism and mm -hmm. maybe even white evangelicalism specifically, but not exclusively. And there was a real soul searching, I think from a loss of identity, mm -hmm. places like Fuller Seminary were struggling financially. Actually, a lot of seminaries were struggling financially. Um, there was a political alignment with the Republican Party that had gotten mm -hmm. a little wonky. Yeah. Um, Same-sex marriage had become legalized in the mm -hmm. U.S., but clergy were not permitted by their denominations to do that. Most of them didn't want to do it, but even the ones who did. So there started to be denominational splits. And you know it's bad when even the Quakers split. <laughs> I mean, that's not something Quakers do. The, the Northwest uh, yearly gathering of friends split that year. Mm. So there, is there was just a lot going on. But there was also some weird things that I never anticipated. For instance, even denominations that had maybe been founded by women or that women had played important roles in in the past mm. were actually going backwards and were no longer ordaining women. And um, so like I, I had in the past worked for the free Methodist. And so the church that I worked in was actually planted over a hundred years ago by two women. Hmm. And, but then when I served there, women weren't even allowed to serve communion. So like, it's just little things like that. Not that that's little, but right, there's a sure. hundred little things like that, that, um, signal to you that it's not just that these lines we're drawing in the sand are increasing. We're drawing more and more lines in the sand. 
it's that there are going to be consequences if you cross them. Mm. So you notice it in little things like when you're talking with your colleagues and there's a spot in the conversation where they would naturally respond and say, oh, interesting, because in my field, it's like this. Or, you know, d- depending on my discipline, here's how we address that. Mm. And they would just not say anything at all. Silence. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'd say, what's going on? And they're like, I can't really talk about this here. Mm. You're like, what's happening right now? So you just, there's a, there's a hundred little signals like that where you just start thinking, I don't, it doesn't feel safe. Mm. And I mean, I could give you a, yeah, we could talk about this all day. <laughs> we could. It's, little things, it's yep. little things like, it's not just the words you say, it's mm. also the words you don't say. Mm. So, like, I never use the phrase, love the Lord. Like, that guy really loves the Lord. You don't think it's a big deal, except that when you're in a created culture, like a seminary, you figure out there's a, there's a something, this is a, not a dog whistle, but there's a signal being sent that that guy, he's, he's one of us. He really loves the Lord. That's like letting you know he gets my stamp of approval. Yeah. And yeah. because I didn't use that phrase, you know, like if I was vouching for a student and I was trying to say like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe consider this student for this. But because I didn't endorse them in the same way and I didn't right. say you know, really love the Lord. So a lot, a lot of little things like that. It's not just in what you say, it's in what isn't said. Mm. And it's in points in the conversation where there would be a natural give and take and that goes dead. And there's just this wet towel of fear or caution. So um, I probably, if you asked me, to think about this for a week, I could come up with you come up with more. That's what you got. So you left the the seminary then. You were teaching there. Yeah, my time there came to an end. Yeah. My wife came to me with an interesting proposal. And she said, Hey, <laughs> how about instead of what you do for a living, being a professor, being the given, and where we live being the variable, what if we put down roots so that I could open a counseling practice? Mm. And where we live is the given and what you do for a living is the variable. And I thought that was a really good idea because it turns out being a professor is a lot different than it was 10 years ago. Sure, sure. And a lot of what you do now is not just online, but you sort of monitor chat rooms and Mm -hmm. you um, facilitate. It wasn't exactly what, I mean, it, it's a long way from Dead Poet Society, sort of, <laughs> idea of standing up in front of a class and inspiring right. great thought. Yeah. And now you really, um, you're almost a, a computer admin at points. Sure. So it, being a professor was a lot different than I had expected. And I can only imagine what it's like now with uh, distance learning. And yeah, learning. for sure. So there was something about her idea that sounded really pleasant to me. Um, we had moved a lot in our 26 years at the time. And so I said, yeah, let's try it. So we decided we were going to stay in Portland, even when my contract to be a professor came to an end. Hmm. And I, 
I'd had a really fun situation happen. At the time, it was devastating, but it ended up being sort of a opening up a really great avenue for me. Hmm. My mom got really sick and died about five years before this story. I had to take a year out of my PhD. And when I came back to try and restart it, one of my main professors had switched to Hofstra University Hmm. and I could no longer write my cognate field with him. So instead of writing on globalization, which is what I had studied, I had to write on I global Methodism (laughs) and because I had grown up free Methodist and I was working at a United Methodist Mm. church at the time. And I was going to United Methodist school. uh, Jack Jackson was very kind and took me on, even though I had not studied with him and let me write one of my qualifying exams in a, in my cognitive field of global Methodism. And um, it was very kind of him to do that. And it took me an extra year of study and to do the literature review. But it turns out I became somewhat of an expert on Methodism. <laughs> like, <and laughs> Who would have so thought? <laughs> when, yeah. So when we decided to put down roots in Portland, Oregon, I called my Methodist friends and said, I think I'm interested in being a Methodist pastor. Oh, man. Yep. And, um, <laughs> I, and so I said, I'm really interested in bringing a church back from the dead. I've started three churches I've pastored healthy congregations, but I've never tried to revive. <laughs> Let's resurrect an one. Old <laughs> right. And they said, Do we have some situations for you? <laughs> and so, by, I'm going to call it the divine leading, I found my way into the most beautiful little gem of a congregation. Mm-hmm. I adore these people in this place so much. I came in, I made him a proposal to change our entire way of doing ministry and our ecclesiology, our entire view of the church, and to make it entirely conversational and interactive. They gave me permission to do it. I literally drove to the pawn shop my first week here and bought an $18 Sawzall. I (laughs) chopped up the pew, all of the pews into little pieces. I ripped out all the carpet. We brought in brand new carpet tiles. We made it a coffee shop feel. We sit in the round. We sit in a circle. I preach from the middle and facilitate conversations. And I turned the old pews into coffee tables that people gather around and into a communion table that we take communion at. It has been so fun. We call it interactive church or church 2.0. If people are interested, they can just Google it. It's on uh, both Vermont Hills UMC website and also, which is my church in Portland, and also uh, bosanders.wordpress.com. Hmm. If you just Google Bo Sanders Interactive Church or Church 2.0, there's an entire page. I've made five videos explaining how we do it. Hmm. And it is, honestly, I could never, ever go back to being a spectator at a religious spectacle. Yeah. Once you've done interactive church, I mean... Honestly, it's like, it's better than coffee. It makes me, the cells of my (laughs) body buzz because at normal church, we call it church 1.0, where everyone's facing the same direction and and all, everything on the stage is either pre-rehearsed or right scheduled. There's nothing dynamic, nothing spontaneous. You are a spectator. And what I hate the most is that while it's important that people come. It doesn't matter who those people are. Yeah. At Interactive Church, 
it really matters who's in the room. Mm. Because if you have black and white, gay and straight, divorced, single, parents, widowed, retired, right, uh, empty nesters, you are going to have a very different conversation. Yeah. De- depending right. on who's in the room. Yeah. And I've seen you, you have, so, you, you have a lot of your stuff is online. And so it's, I've watched you do your thing on Sundays and I've seen like, it's very different at first. Like at first, like I had never seen anything like that before. And so mm-hmm. to hear you talking and having almost like a conversation with people and people mm-hmm. chiming in and, and like we talked about like a surplus of meaning, like different people have different viewpoints and it's just fascinating to watch and to call that church was such a foreign idea for me at first, but now it just seems like so much more natural. And, and by the way, I hate quarantine. I might hate quarantine <laughs> the most of anyone I know. It definitely cramps your style. <laughs> oh man! And it—I <laughs> mean, it, it is literally—it is a challenge to my very view of the church. It is a—it is a crippling to my vocation. <laughs> I mean, it's this is really challenging, but. One of the things I'm excited about is um, we're going to embrace it. Mm. And this fall, we're actually going to prioritize the online experience to encourage people to stay home. Tell me more. We're Tell me more. Make it, yeah, we're going to try and make it so that, that you have a better experience watching from your living room than if you were on, on site. Okay. Can you give us a, uh, like a sneak peek of what that, like what goes into that? Oh, so the little things like... When we, whenever this, we do get back to meeting in person again. So I bought this rolling desk. It's a standing desk. Mm-hmm. And I am going to preach right with the computer in front of me to the camera. So we're going to prioritize right with line of sight, those who are watching from home. Okay. And then like when it's time for say a song, we will wheel that over to the piano. Hmm. So you actually will get a better experience watching from home, right? The transitions yeah, yeah, yeah. elements of our gathering. Yeah. But here's where it's going to get fun. When it's time for the conversation, the person who is wheeling the desk around so that you get the best view is going to turn the desk and they're going to sit down in front of you and they're going to be your conversation partner. Huh? And so the person who's there is going to get, so like we're going to prioritize the online experience so that it doesn't feel secondary. Yeah, it doesn't sure. feel like an afterthought yeah. so that you're not, the camera's not off to the side or in the back of the room yeah. or that you just have to listen to the murmur of conversation groups, but you don't have anybody to talk to. We're going to make it, we're going to try and make it so that in the, the, the way we're going to do it, it's really easy is, we're going to design the worship gathering for online hmm. and then ask, okay, and what about those of us who are in the room? I like that. That's really, that's a really good idea. Cause I mean, there's just a lot of people. I mean, even when, when, even when things go back to, you know, normal, yep. whatever that looks like, yep. like there's just people who, you know, you know, they're just never going to go to a church, you know, but I yep. think people, those people, when they, when they tune into a church service, to your point, they feel like they're just secondary. Like there's so many times where I watch something online. I'm like, what's going on over there in the, like, what is this? Like, what are they, what are they pointing to? Like, it's just like, I'm just like a afterthought, the guy behind yeah. the screen. Like you're watching a security camera. Yeah, exactly. That's the exact way to put it. <laughs> I think it's a really cool idea to like make it, 
to try to like almost like turn the church service inside out so that the person behind the screen is the 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 number one person that you're focused on. Yeah. That's what I we're like gonna that. try. I like that. So we're, 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 we're running low on time and I have so many oh, questions, yeah. but, but I want to ask you one thing. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. Sure. You, you told us your story, um, yeah. professor, now you're, you're pastoring. Yeah. Uh, you, you got well, I'm an author as, too, by the way. You're, you're an author. That's right. You, you just, I you wrote just a book a with book. my mentor and friend, Randy Woodley. That's it. Called decolonizing evangelicalism and uh randy and i have a podcast called piecing it all together p-e-a-c so yep. people can tune in there yeah i'm gonna put all the links out in the show notes and we're gonna have you back on again to talk about the book because we have questions about that too oh, yes. um but yeah so you you're an author pastor you got a sawzall chopped up your pews <laughs> I'm a renaissance man. that's right and you also released a video uh, like a, a year, was it maybe a year, two years ago? Oh, yeah. Uh, retiring from evangelism. Yeah. And I think that the, the kind of the content of that video, I'll put that link in the show notes as well. But I think if you tell us the story about that video and maybe what brought you yeah. to make that video, I think it's going to touch a lot of people who are listening to this podcast. So uh, take right. us behind the scenes of this video and you can go a little bit longer. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. First of all, I want to thank you for getting the title right. You know, no one gets the title right. Uh, <laughs> what do they say? They, they say uh, evangelicalism, not yeah. evangelism. Yep. Two entirely different things. So thank you for getting that right. That, honestly, I did that my research. <laughs> and I've well, listened to it a few times. <laughs> yeah, and it's fascinating to me that I said evangelism, but what people heard was evangelicalism. Yes, so that, heard something very different. You know, bring it full circle. Yep. So here's what happened in that video. <clears throat> When I left my church in upstate New York in 2008 to go to seminary, hmm. I started a podcast and a blog, uh, Everyday Theology back then. And uh, then it continued on to homebrew Christianity and, and, and then on to piecing it all together, where I was perpetually trying to be uh, a guide, a hmm. translator for people who believed presently what I used to believe in, in my past. And so I wanted to be uh, somebody who helped people who were curious about asking bigger questions, about thinking about faith a different way, and who maybe wanted off what I call the party barge, the carnival cruise line of evangelicalism. And uh, I, so I followed behind in this little tiny rescue boat, uh, <laughs> just picking out people who had jumped overboard and were done with the big carnival cruise line of evangelicalism, the party barge. Yep. Well, after 10 years of doing that, I started to notice I was increasingly ineffective mm. because of this gap I had mentioned. And that Christmas, two interesting things happened. We were back in Montana with my wife's family, and they were asking about my, this new faith I have, this different way of doing faith. And they literally just couldn't hear what I was saying. Mm. Um, the idea of foundationals, foundations is so important to many evangelical or conservative Christians that for me to be post-foundational what was, I mean, it literally didn't make sense. It sounded like, you know, I might as well have been trying to explain Dungeons and Dragons or how, <laughs> right. how spells work or something, you know, 
lycanthropy or something. You know, it just, it didn't make any sense. They literally could not hear what I was saying. Mm. Well, that same Christmas, I found out that I would no longer be teaching the class that I taught that you were in. Yeah. yeah. Well, that meant that I wasn't going to be a professor at Portland Seminary and mm. I wasn't going to be a professor at Alliance Theological Seminary. I'm no longer a pastor in the evangelical church and I no longer had a platform on social media or podcasting that reached that crowd anyway. Mm. And then the icing on the cake was that you came along. And I thought to myself, he's doing a better job at what I used to do than I even did back then. But he's certainly doing a better job than I can do now. Hmm. So I decided to pass the baton. And I told you, you were going to do great with the podcast and that your passion and your insight and your creativity was going to bear great fruit in helping mm. people mm. who were maybe just a year or two or maybe a decade behind you on the very same road. Mm. And they were trying to wander out of the wilderness, so mm. to say. But that I was no longer going to spend my time and energy trying to convince people to think a different way. Yeah. I figured out that my brain at 46 at the time was exploding with ideas and I wanted to put more energy into big, constructive, creative ideas and then just let those who are curious find me. Yeah. But that I needed to stop wandering into the village and trying to talk people into going on a journey with me. Yeah. They're village dwellers and they're happy until they're not, but at what point they become curious and want to wander out with me, that's fine. But I was just not bearing the fruit I wanted to bear by wandering into the village and trying to talk villagers into wandering out with me. Yeah. Uh, it's, to leave it's their exhausting. Security. Yeah. It is. Well, it is. Yeah. 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 And which I'm willing to do mm -hmm. if I'm effective. Sure. But I was increasingly not effective. So sure. what I did is I, I, re I retired from evangelism. I just said, I'm not going to try and convince anyone of my views anymore. Mm. I'm not going to try and change anybody's mind. Mm. And I retired from evangelism and uh, took about a year to put all my best brain power into constructive, innovative theology for the 21st century. Mm. Yeah, I mean, when, when you're thinking that way for a long time, I imagine it's difficult yeah. to come out yeah. of that. Yeah. And it took about a year, but I got to say, in the last two months, I have rounded some kind of corner and I have come into some kind of new season yeah. where I have a voice yep. and people can hear the song I'm singing. Yep. And it is resonating with the moment that we find ourselves in with uh, our political animosity, Black Lives Matter, police brutality, this conversation that we're having about sexuality, yeah. uh, the role that religion plays, and our finances within consumer capitalism. Yeah. I have just rounded some into some beautiful oasis. So yeah. I don't know how long the season will last, but man, is this fun right now. It is, and uh, just watching you online, I can see that you 
you have found your groove and uh and you're doing your thing so uh, for our listeners, yeah, for our listeners, I'm going to put all of Bo's uh, links in the show notes. And uh, believe me, he's somebody you've got to go and uh, follow, listen to his stuff. He's got so many different videos online. Uh, his messages are on Facebook every week at the church, and uh, he's just doing amazing things. And I have borrowed, I have maybe stolen, perhaps, your analogy of the cruise ship. Uh, that was kind of the whole <laughs> basis for for yeah. for this podcast, yeah. and I think I mentioned it in episode number one, all the way back in the beginning. But uh, that's yeah. something that really resonated with me because you talked about that in the class, and yeah. uh, I just saw myself as just put so many words on what I was feeling, and such yeah. a great analogy. So, if yeah. people want to, starting in September, October, November, I have a fun thing I'm going to be doing called the ABCs of Modified Theology. Okay, it's going to be 13 weeks. It's 26 letters of the alphabet. We're going to go through concepts uh, about theology for the 21st century, and it's going to be great. So if you go to uh, my blog or you find me on Facebook, um, September, October, November, we're going to do 13 weeks, 26 letters, modified theology. Well, I will probably join in on that, and I'll hey! put the link yeah, in the show notes, and we'll maybe we'll get some other listeners on there as well. That'll be a lot of fun. It is going to be really fun. And then we're going to, at the end, we'll put together all of the 26 PDFs and it will become an ebook. Okay. And so people, yep. people who are in the learning cohort will get it for free. I and like then it. everyone else will make it available for like five or nine bucks. And um, it's going to be a wild fall. I like it. Well, I'll look forward to it and uh, look for another invitation from me because I have more questions for you. Or anytime, brother. Cool, man. Well, we'll do this again sometime. Thank you so much for stopping by. And uh, thank you again for believing in me. Happy birthday. All right, man. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Wake up. Get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee. Got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. It's gonna get started. We can do what we want to wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee. Got this money on my mind. Always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. Way up, way up, way up. Got myself to see the big picture. You not alone, I'm right there with ya. Trust me, get up. Guess I gotta be more stricter. Keep my head up, getting more slicker. I know, yeah. Gotta move my feet, put in the motion. I know that every door I walk up to is bound to open. Wish it all could be so easy, I insert a token. Hit that thing on both sides, if the size is broken. Move on, oven cooking, I be on the slow grind. Anything I put my mind up to, I'm bound to be mine. Best to get it by my way, follow suit and follow the line. Hope you got it, hope you get it. Go and check the guidelines, yo. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. See the sunrise, beauty all in the sky, so really wipe all my cries. Haven't felt this in the wild, man. I can't even lie. Living one day at a time, man. I'm just getting by. Job is stressing me with all the nonsense. Can't stop it. Quitting, then I'm on my own terms. Make a profit. Making sure I'm counting every penny in my pocket. Chessing ain't no checkers on my moves. That's a promise. Just keep a real bro, that's all that I know. Waking up at crack of dime, time not getting slow. Keep it moving, I'ma do the same, need a for growth. Before I blossom, gotta back up all my seeds on the low. Let's go. Yeah. 
Keep it moving, I'ma do the same, need it for growth. Yeah. Uh, before I blossom, gotta pack up all my seeds on the low. Let's go. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind.